0: And my name is Grace Savard and we will be your hosts for this episode of Extending the Links Undertold podcast. This episode will discuss the history of Native American boarding schools in the United States. This is the first episode of our four episode long podcast series promoting decolonization here at CSBSJU and in the broader community.
1: Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that the land we gather on today is the original homeland of the Dakota and Anishinaabe peoples. We honor and respect the indigenous peoples who are forcibly removed from and who are still connected to this territory. There are over 20 native and indigenous students at our schools from different nations. St. Ben's Monastery and St. John's Abbey used to operate boarding schools for native children. Now, students, faculty, and staff are working to repair relationships with our Native Nation neighbors. There are well over 35,000 Indigenous peoples living in the Twin Cities metro area, including a diversity of nations. Centuries of genocide and forced assimilation have created a range of challenges for Indigenous peoples. Throughout, Indigenous peoples have carried forward ancestral traditions and created contemporary adaptations.
0: Please tune in to the next episode, which will be focused more specifically on the history of Native American boarding schools at CSBSJU. We open up this podcast as a space to discuss ways in which we can support Indigenous people in our area.
1: We, ETL, are a storytelling organization but we ourselves are not the storytellers. We seek to be a platform for storytelling that amplifies the calls of community members. Through this podcast, we aim to promote and uplift the voices of faculty, staff, students, communities, and organizations who are actively working for
0: healing and decolonization. We interviewed Dr. Ted Gordon, who spoke to us about the national context of Native American boarding schools.
2: So I, I'm an anthropologist, and I teach in the sociology department, and I've been at St. Benson, St. John's for eight years, and working on issues of uh, our institution's uh, history uh, and our, our legacy with, with Native communities and working towards reconciliation with Native communities and supporting Indigenous students. Um, our, uh, this work has been uh, supported by our uh, Mellon Foundation grants and we are now in our third year.
1: We also had the chance to speak with Moses Wiseman, a sophomore at St. John's University.
3: Ah, Wakaa, who am I? Makaa, I'm a person that lives in is my name. I'm from the United States of America. I'm from I'm the son of Victor I'm I'm the son of Victor Charlie Weisman Wiseman. I'm the of Wiseman who used to be a John. I, I also am the grandson of Nuk Dennis Panrik, and Kazirok Adline Kailuk Panrik, who used to be a Kailuk. I am from the village of Japunak, which is also known as Chufornik, Alaska. Um the reason why I'm introducing myself like this is just in case well, it, it it has a significance. Like people who speak Yuchtin will know um my lineage and how, and then they'll figure out how we'll be related.
0: Our third guest was Vance Black Fox from the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition, or NABS for short.
4: Um, so, Hello, good morning everybody. Uh, my name is Galanchi. Um, uh, my English name is Vance Black Fox, I'm a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. And uh, my homeland, so of course in the eastern part of what's now known as the United States, and particularly um, southern or southeast Georgia and northwest, um, excuse me, southeast Tennessee and northwest Georgia. And um, but I was raised and grew up um, in Cherokee Nation, which is now in what is known as Oklahoma. And uh, however, I call San Antonio home. And so I'm presently in San Antonio and um, joining you from the lands of the Khoi and the Tonkwa people. That's the original peoples of this land, um, some of whom still reside here. And then we, of course, have um, hundreds of other tribes represented in this urban space right now as well. So thank you for having me this morning. Um, But NABS, the Boarding School Healing Coalition, um, you know, was formed um, almost now 10 years ago um, as an actual nonprofit and The boarding school healing coalition then um, became a nonprofit, uh, 501c3, um, with the help of the Native American Rights Fund, uh, NARF, which is based in Colorado and Denver. And so we began our work to, you know, that these things began to happen. Um, or not being in heaven, but these things happened in the United States and uh, that boarding school actually existed. And the reason I say it that way is because we guess that probably less than 10 percent of the population, the entire population in the United States knows that the Indian boarding schools even existed, Um, much less anything about, you know, what happened there. Um, the impacts that it had on Indigenous individuals, Indigenous families, Native communities, Native nations, um, and the country overall.
2: Native American boarding schools were used as an instrument by the federal government to attempt to force Native communities to assimilate through family separation. So the definition of assimilation is when somebody who... Is uh, was raised in in one culture. Uh, for one reason or another, ends up adopting in full the practices of another culture and no longer practices their their birth culture. Now, when it comes to Native communities, the reason why the federal government wanted Native youth to assimilate was. As the slogan said, as as, uh, as General Richard Pratt said, who founded the first school, the goal was kill the Indian, save the man. The what the federal government was trying to achieve by forcing assimilation was to achieve a future where nobody identified as Native. Now, if you think about this. The government had been pursuing. Military uh, conquest uh, as a way of, uh, of gaining access to native land and native resources, and then just decided that this was too expensive and was going to use boarding schools to force assimilation. This was viewed by those who operated them as rhetorically. They said this was a more humane approach than outright slaughtering indigenous people. Of course, though, the uh, uh, the separating of children from their parents in order to uh, prevent them from sharing their culture and language from generation to generation is a very violent act in itself. Um, and these schools changed over time in how they were operated. Um. But uh, we're really looking at almost a 100-year period through the 1970s that these operated with several hundred schools across the country.
4: So we want folks to understand that these were not just boarding schools for the sake of educating our kids. Um, I think they're at... St. Um, Benedict's and St. John's, um, you hear a lot of, and in other places in, in educational and academic settings, you'll hear a lot about industrial schools. Um, yes, some of them were industrial schools um, and some of them were not, um, but whether they were a federal school um, that were focused on industry, industry, or if it was a church run school focused on industrial um, science or not, um, it wasn't for the purpose of you know, getting us to college. It was about providing just the basic um, um, knowledge. And the basic knowledge, first of all, was don't be Indian. So you're not speaking your language or you're gonna be punished, sometimes even tortured until you stop. Um, You're not going to be in familiar relationships or familiar relationships with even your relatives who might be at the school with you. You are like an individual soldier. They were teaching us things that might have been helpful in, our, in their growth um, and the students' growth um, in some way. I think they thought that's what they were doing, but then there was no sense of um, you know, what would happen afterwards. I think some of the administrators and teachers, um, priests um, and others who were running these institutions thought that the, the, the children after graduation wouldn't go back home. Um, but you know, after they released them, after they were done with them, um, that's where most of them went. So there was no, there was no, there was no place for, for them to work really. You know, the, the reservations didn't have many, many, many places for Indian people to work, in most cases. So, now I'm generalizing. Um, that didn't happen for everyone. So, but those, you know, that's important for folks to know. The other thing that, um, you know, the schools were doing, um, was you know, creating a, a culture of violence. So when a child would be in trouble, you know, it wasn't just the priest or the, the nun or the um, pastor or the, edu- the educator, the teacher that was punishing um, the house, the house parent punishing the child, um, they would have the other children punish the child. And, uh, and so that violence um, that they experienced that they experienced personally, but also the violence that they lost on to others, um, was then carried back with them. Um, and and that, in addition to being separated from a parent figure or a family, a familial figures, um, caused then a lot of folks not to know very well how to parent once they got home. So when they became adults and had children, they. Didn't, they, they didn't have that gift or skill um, that had been stripped from them. And so they, what they passed down? They passed down um, their addictions because that's how they were coping with what they experienced as a child, as well as then the violence that they learned um, from white people in these schools. And so um, those are things that uh, I think folks should know, um, you know um, and, and that's, that's very high level. That's not even the details of some of these folks' stories that are just so, um, so heartbreaking and, and frustrating. I would also say that um, it's important for folks to know that um, there were 300. And what we know now for sure, there were 367. of these schools, kids were so desperate to to leave the school and to get home, they would attempt that. And I know I know the stories of my own grandma, you know, who was who went to boarding school and attempted to run away a couple of times, um, you know. Um, but she was young; she was early teens. And whether she was by herself or with others, you know, it was scary. And she was only like 50 miles from home. Um, and so she would turn around each time, but she attempted, um, and and I think, you know, a lot of young kids did out of that desperation. So those are some things that I think that folks, you know, should be aware of.
2: So it's it's really important to highlight that there's no one boarding school experience, and there's really a whole range of experiences. There are a number of of examples of families that willingly sent their children to these schools and and saw them as ultimately being for the benefit uh, of their children uh, and believe that their children would pick up important skills at these schools. On the other end, though, it's also worth keeping in mind that there was an enormous pressure on families to send their children to these schools. Uh, If parents refused, they could be subject to arrest, and then their parents would be taken. They could have their land and property confiscated from them. And so there was an enormous pressure for them to send their children to these schools.
1: NAPS has created a program called the Healing Voices Story Collection, which brings together video stories from survivors and descendants of survivors to share about their boarding school
4: experiences. We want to make sure that we have a similar type of collected story about all their experiences. Some of them, which are very sad stories um, and scary stories um, and frustrating and maddening stories. Um, And then there are some that are a little little lighter, um, where they had a a different type of experience at the boarding school. Um, um, People's experiences were different, though most were... Um, pretty egregious and, and sad um there were some that actually had um good experiences that doesn't eliminate the fact that this whole process was a system right to eliminate and alleviate um, our culture and our identity and our relationships with our tribal culture or tribal community and our land for the sake of getting our land right again um, but um but certainly um honoring the story no matter what perspective or what tone or um, outcome or result that might have had on that particular student or now survivor.
2: So we cannot understand our own institution's history. Um, the schools that we, the, the, the boarding schools that at St. Benson, St. John's, we inherited the, the, the legacy from, from these boarding schools, we cannot understand them outside of the national context it's really important that nobody ever comes away from the work we're doing on our own campuses with the view that this was something that just St. Benz and St. John's did. It's something that's that was unique to us uh, or that um, the, monast- the monastic communities developed themselves. That's not at all the case. This initiative of using family separation for forced assimilation came from the federal government and
0: Moses Wiseman dedicated a semester to researching the impacts of Native American boarding schools on Indigenous peoples.
3: Um, My research paper was focused on um, the mistreatment of Indigenous Alaskan Natives and Native Americans down here and up there in industrial boarding schools. And I feel like I wasn't like I thought it was just um, a native people thing of how like you feel you feel for others like you can you feel, you you feel their pain and learning about the history of what what my people went through was very um, traumatizing and it's it's hard it's it's sometimes hard to talk about when it comes to like how badly that they were treated. Um, most boarding schools down here, I know that they were treated very very badly. They were separated from their families. I was, as I was doing my research up down here, um, like I would cry like once I found something out. Like I have a very close connection with both of my parents, mostly my mom. Like me and my mom are like very, very close. Like I'm very open with her. And when I I found a source with NPR saying that, um, that this person was taken away from their mom at a very young age and couldn't even go anywhere because, until he was 18 and uh, i also found out uh, like before I, before i even came here like i did not know that that um our campuses were industrial boarding schools like i didn't know that at all until i met ted ted gordon who um who openly discussed about this and i was like thank you so much like like i feel like like there was a there was something like in me that felt so relieved that there is actually people out there that want to know about Indigenous people and how they suffered through this whole um, industrial school process. I chose that topic because I felt like I I was the person like I don't know. I feel like I was told but I needed to talk about it. Like I don't know. It was like just something in me that like triggered like a spark. Be like, and I feel like I don't know. I feel like like my ancestors were telling me like. You are like in a PWI, you are in a predominantly white institution that does not know that the campus was an industrial boarding school. And I felt like I needed to, like, I feel like I was the, I was the gateway. Like I was the person holding the key to open this gate to like, like to touch on the subject, even though like it may, it may be, it may have a like a very, very bad reputation of an adventist. I wish I was able to like go back in time and um learn a whole different um like I wish I could know how to like speak in Dakota and understand what they were what these indi- what these Native Americans were going through because I know it was really, really bad. I just want like the whole community to know that the land that we're learning on was was a very traumatic history, and it was a very harsh time. And um, I just, I, I feel like I just want people to understand that the land that we're on does not belong to us. The land, like, <clears throat> we're in some cases, we're borrowing this land. But we need to acknowledge the fact that this land that we're learning on is not ours, it belongs to I, I think it's the An- Ashinaabe, Anabashi
2: tribes One reason why it's really important for Americans to become educated about this history is a lot of disparities that exist today between Native and non-Native Americans are rooted in this history. This history of boarding schools is a big part of that. Now, when it comes to today as a society, you know, the, the United States, um, having conversations about how do we address the disparities that that affect that affect different groups? Uh How do we actually achieve the goals uh, of equality and justice that we aspire to? It's important that everybody has the facts and knows what caused those.
3: I mean, we can't just like tear down all of these buildings and be like, oh, here here's your land back. We can't just simply do that because we're now in like the twenty-first century, where, where, <clears throat> where we're just already here, and I feel like we need to acknowledge the fact that we're on native native territory, and we also need to respect respect the practices that used to be done on the, on the land. Like I used to always be told, if you if you like feel the ground, the ground has its whole spirit.
4: We believe that sharing stories. Um, one will not only beginning in the beginning of sharing stories will not only help the individual, right the the survivor um, begin their healing journey but also it will assist with the healing journeys of many others who also might be survivors or descendants because descendants also are having to heal from that intergenerational trauma that happened because of people's attendance at boarding school or forced attendance to, at boarding school. Um, and um, so so telling those stories certainly, contributes to that, right? Hearing stories contributes to that. But also um, these stories I believe will also be, begin, be the beginning of the healing journey that needs to happen for non-Native people um, um, throughout the United States, uh, whether they were connected to a church or to the federal system that were, were part of that, whether they were complicit or not. We all are responsible for knowing this history, uh, which is American history. Um, and so, but I believe that in addition to that, it will begin that journey healing for all of us. And I think that that's vital and, and quite important.
2: What I would like everybody to know is not just to learn from this history and, and know about it, know its impacts, but to know that there's so much more to gain in, uh, in addressing this past and, uh, and, and finding ways to work towards reconciliation. There's so much more for us to gain and there are real meaningful opportunities to do uh, important work that moves the needle towards greater equality. So it's always important that when we talk about this history, that we pair it with some of the really exciting steps that people can take. And um, there are, there are a number of examples just even from with our own, community that we're taking already, and there's a lot of ways to grow it. Um, but what it starts with is really asking the communities that were affected, in this case, asking indigenous communities, uh, you know, sitting down with them, listening to their stories, and, and listening to them describe both the gifts that their community has and also the needs and challenges that they face and then recognizing the opportunities that if you're coming from a privileged background or at a privileged institution like like our own institutions understanding the ways in which the resources we already have can um, can be mobilized to serve those needs and so that's what i want everybody to know i mean that, that's that's kind of the perspective from here at St. Ben's and St. John's but if we can do this this can be done everywhere um, uh, all across the country. And so addressing the past and addressing some of the more difficult and painful parts of a, of a community's past can be a really, really positive thing that ends up being a win-win for everyone.
4: And we'll continue to need more and more people um, out in the world who will help us spread um, the word that these things happened and that it's time for our country to, to know it and own it uh, and help us move forward in, uh, with the healing, not just for indigenous peoples, but for the, for the country as a whole.